Thanks for listening to our Faith Church podcast. Let's listen to today's message. Hallelujah. Tell somebody next year, I got victory. Go ahead and be seated. There is victory in Jesus. This is my favorite day of the year. I love celebrating the victory of Jesus Christ. He overcame sin and death and being on the cross on Friday night to rise again on Sunday morning, making him the one and only living God. We got victory. We have victory. You have victory today. Tell somebody else, I have victory. You have victory today because of Jesus. He loves us so much. So glad to see you all here this morning. Those of you who are online, our family and friends, we love you today. Glad to have you in the house, those that are here. Um, Easter Sunday, one of my favorite days, if not my very favorite day of the year, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that he is to us. Uh, Without the resurrection, there'd be no us. And uh, we are here, the body of Christ is here because of the resurrection. It's not enough to just believe in Christ, but it's more important that we accept him and realize that he really is our savior and deliverer. And he really did give us victory 2,000 years ago. How many are glad about that? I'm just going to take a few minutes this morning. I want to I lay out for those who don't understand what today is, just in a couple of minutes, the Easter Story, And then I want to break down something that I believe God put on my heart for today. I realize that this Sunday is probably, I think it's my 17th Easter Sunday preaching. And every year I always ask God for something uh, new and fresh uh, to the story. Obviously, we know the foundations of the story and uh, Jesus being God's son and he God said, we read, we've heard the scripture so many times, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that's us, that he gave his only son, Jesus, whoever believes in him will be saved and have everlasting life. And so we know that's the story. We know that Jesus came for us. He lived, he died, was crucified, but he rose again. And that's what makes him God alone for us. In order to accept Jesus, we have to live for Christ, repent of our sins, give our life to Christ, realize that we are sinners, and we know that he's made a way for us. Your your eternal destination without Jesus is hell. I'll just put it out there. Without Jesus Christ, your destination is hell. Nobody chooses, well, I guess some probably do, Nobody usually chooses to go to hell, volunteers and say, that's where I want to live. I suppose some do who are completely out of their minds. But some people think that heaven is default. Well, I'll just go to heaven if I don't choose hell. The reverse is true. You'll go to hell if you don't choose heaven. And Jesus made a way for us to choose heaven. He made a way for us to choose him. 2,000 years ago, he came to this earth. 2,000 years ago, he walked amongst us as God in flesh. 2,000 years ago, he went about doing good, healing the sick, uh, touching those that were oppressed, raising the dead. That's God. That's Jesus. That's who he is. I want to take you this morning to Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bible or your phone, however you want to do it, 
Go to Luke 15. That's where the story is this morning. I'm not going anywhere else. Just Luke 15. And I want to talk about uh, a story in the Bible that we've heard numerous times, but I want to apply it a little bit differently this morning. Um, starting at verses 1 and 2 of Luke 15, it says this. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to Jesus to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. Jesus wouldn't minister to anybody. Jesus loved people. He loved whether they were people that were following him, people that weren't following him. He said his job on earth was bring the gospel of the kingdom to people. He wanted to bring the gospel to people, but the religious leaders who should have recognized him but didn't, religious leaders would negatively refer to Jesus as a friend of sinners. That was not a compliment. That was actually a negative. And truthfully, yes, Jesus did love sinners, but to the context some people take it, Jesus did not hang out with sinners. Sinners hang, hung out with Jesus. It's one thing if I hang out at your house, it's another thing if you hang out at mine. My house is going to have a different atmosphere, maybe, than your house. Certainly a sinner's house is going to have a different atmosphere from Jesus' house. And so sinners, even though he would go, he would bring himself, he would change the atmosphere of whatever room he was in. He hated sin, and he hated sinful places. So Jesus didn't go and hang out at bars. He didn't go out and hang out at brothels or nightclubs. He wouldn't walk around to try to relate to people and get high or whatever it is. You know, some people are silly. Some people try to make stuff up. Well, you know, I'm just trying to reach the world. No, you just want to do your stuff. And say, Jesus' friend said, no, you're, you're friends with sinners. Jesus loves sinners, but Jesus didn't go and hang out with them. And that's the model that Jesus was trying to explain because he told us to go into all the world. He said, go into all the world. But that's not the end of the statement. And preach the gospel. Our job is to go into all the world. Those of us who know Christ, we're supposed to be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus tried to explain it in Luke 15 in three different stories. So I want to take you through these stories. And I'm going to emphasize one of them. But there's three stories in here that he's trying to explain what the religious leaders were accusing him of, and he said, no, that's not the way it is. Let me explain it. The first story, he talks about the lost sheep. And in the story of the lost sheep, he talks about the shepherd who left the 99 and went and got the one that was lost. But he didn't say the shepherd went and hung out with him. He went and brought him home. That's a different meaning. The second story, he talks about the parable of the lost coin. And he said in this, where the, the lady had lost her valuable coin, he said, when she turned on the light, she found the coin. The lady didn't hang out in the darkness with the coin. 
The lady turned on the light so the coin could see, and she could see the coin. The third story, and I'll explain what it means in a minute, talks about the lost son. All these stories talk about something that was lost, and really specifically speaking of someone who was lost. The father gave the son what he asked, which was his was money. He gave him his inheritance. The son went off and did what he wanted to do. The father didn't go and hang out with the son. The father waited for the son to come home. And it's important we understand this because in each one of these stories, there's three things that are common. The first thing that's common is every one of these stories referred to, and he said, it was a sinner who repented. Every one of these stories talked about a sinner who repented. The second thing each one of these stories talked about was a sinner coming home or being home. And then the third one was every time a sinner came home, there was a party. Call the friends, call our neighbors, let's have a party, let's celebrate. Someone who was lost is now found. Someone who was out there is now back home. And they'd call a party. And in the last story of the lost son, I want to put some emphasis on this. Go with me to verse 11 of Luke 15. And Jesus is trying to, again, illustrate the point. And he says, so to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. He said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want, to share, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed and divided his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About this time, his money ran out, great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Let me stop there. You know, everybody thinks, if I go and do my own thing, it's going to be great. The son left the father's house, and he went and did what he wanted to do. He had all this money. He had everything that he could possibly need at his father's house. But he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to leave my father's house and I'm going to go into where I want to go and hang out with who I want to hang out with. And I'm going to have this big successful life and I am going to do great things. You read the story, that's not what happened. You read the story, he quickly got into sin. He quickly started hanging around the wrong people, getting involved with the wrong people. And before you knew it, you had a son of a wealthy man who had everything he needed in the house, now wishing he could eat the food of pigs. Let me tell you this. Sin will lead you to a place of destruction. You may think it's fun, and the Bible says... Sin can be fun for a season. But that season runs out on everyone. 
And Satan is a thief and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Notice what it says there in verse 16. He says, no one gave him anything. Sin isn't going to give you anything. It's going to take from you everything. The devil's going to take everything from you. He's going to try to strip you of your life, of your provisions, of your health. He'll try to strip you of your own dignity. He'll try to strip you of everything to, let, to keep you in a place of bondage. Sin will make you hopeless. This young man got hopeless. He couldn't find food. You know, when you have lots of money, you, have, you can have lots of friends. When you're paying for everybody, everybody wants to be there. But as soon as you stop paying and drinks are no longer on you, those friends leave. You find out who your friends are, who's left when you have nothing. And sometimes we think that we can just live our life and everything's going to work out. And that's not the way. Satan has a plan to destroy you, just like God has a plan to help you succeed. Satan has a plan. And when we think we can do it by ourselves, we're going to be in trouble. And the enemy will suck the life right out of you. Verse 17 says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both you and heaven, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. We're talking this morning about grace for life. You see all the T-shirts everybody's wearing? Grace for life. Part of that grace for life is there is grace to repent of your sins. What do you mean by grace? Grace is the power of God, the presence of God, for you to become who you're called to become and to do what you're called to do. Grace is the power of God for you to live for God. Grace is the power of God so that you can serve Christ. We don't just serve Christ because we're stronger than everyone else. We serve Christ because the grace of God empowers us to stay in Christ, to stay saved, to stay with Christ. The enemy pulls hard at everybody. There's no exception. The enemy is going to try to draw whoever he can draw out through whatever circumstance, whatever hurt, whatever pain, whatever struggle. The enemy is going to try to take you out however he can do it. But there's grace to come back to God. There's grace to repent. There's grace to recognize your sin. There's grace to open your eyes. There's grace to wake up. I love it when he says, and when he came to himself, there's grace for you to come to yourself. There's grace for your children, for your spouse, for your family, for your friend, for your neighbor. There's grace for them to come to themselves, for them to wake up, for them to, their eyes to be opened. There's grace. The power of God draws people in so that they can see and they can hear. There's grace to realize that God loves you. God cares about you. Going down to verse 20. And so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. And he said to him, Father, I've sinned against both you, heaven and you. 
and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Second point is this. There is grace to come home. There's grace to come home. The enemy wants you to think you can't come home. Your father won't accept you. People won't accept you. And there's grace for you to come home. God loves you. God always loves you. You know, people have crazy images of God. Like, well, you know, I did all this bad stuff. God hates me. God doesn't hate you. If God hated you, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. God loves us. He cares about us. Who would give up their son for me, for you? Only a God that loves you. There's grace to come home. There's grace to repent of your sin. There's grace to come back to God's house. There's grace. God is looking down the road saying, come on home. Come on home. It's time to come home. For some of you today, you're watching online, you're in the building. Some of you, it's time to come home. It's just time to come home. You've been out doing your stuff, living your life, and you know it's empty. At the end of the day, you feel nothing. There's grace to come home. Yeah, well, pastor, I, I used to be in the church. I used to serve Christ, but I've done too many bad things. There's, there's nothing you've done that God can't forgive. There's nothing you've done. I have yet to meet the sinner that God can't forgive. God can forgive us, but you have to come home. You have to come back to him. I don't know if you noticed the stories and how they differ a little bit. The first story with the sheep and the shepherd. Oh, we have a baby crying. The first story with the sheep. The shepherd had to go get the sheep. Why? I don't know if you've ever studied sheep, but sheep aren't very smart. And, and I love this. I love how Jesus covered all types of people, including me and you. Sometimes I'm not very smart. I don't know what happened to the sheep. I don't know if the sheep all of a sudden saw a bunny and started following the bunny. And before you knew it, he was outside of the herd. I don't know if the sheep got distracted by some little bird that was flying and the sheep just started going. But the sheep Jesus is talking about didn't have the ability to find its way home. You ever known somebody who struggles with directions? Maybe you're sitting next to them. Maybe if you put them in the middle of Rochester in a car, they could not find their way out. I know people like that. I'll say, well, which way is the sun pointing? Well, what's that have to do with anything? <laughs> well, if it's in the evening and it's, and it's down at that side, that means it's the west side. If it's the morning and it's coming up, it's on the east side. I have no idea what that means. 
Some people just, they, they couldn't find their way out of a square. They just, they, just, they just don't know how to get out. They just keep going around and around and they just can't get themselves out of it. Sometimes, and, and Jesus knows this and God knows this and he says, I'll send somebody to pull you out. I'll send somebody. And he sent the shepherd to go, let me go grab that sheep. He'll never find his way back. He'll never get him back. I'll send, I love that sheep so much. I'm willing to, to leave these for a minute and go and get them, but I'm bringing them back to the fold. I'm not going to hang out with them. I'm not going to be doing what they're doing. I'm going to get that sheep and bring him back home. Because the sheep was lost. In each situation, something was lost. And he's referring to, ultimately, us being lost. Because it always ends with sinners repenting, coming home. The second story is the story of this valuable coin, which God says we're of great value to him. This valuable coin who was lost in the house. And as this coin is lost in the house, it says it was dark in the house. The coin lived in darkness. And I don't know if you've ever tried to find something in darkness, but it's really hard. I'm really glad there's flashlights on my phone because sometimes I drop something, I don't know where it is. But when you turn the light on, you can find things. And sometimes you just need someone to turn the light on and all of a sudden you can see. And when God turns on the light, your eyes become open. You're able to see. And that's the parable. The lost coin had no ability to walk, no ability to think for themselves, no ability to find their way out. They were in perpetual darkness until the woman turned on the light and found the coin. And God says, I do that as well. Not only do I go after the sheep, I go after the coins. They're all valuable to me. But the third one is different. Because the father didn't chase the son. The son went off and did what he wanted to do. The son knew better. And the father didn't go and hang out. Well, let me go hang out with my son. I know he's out doing stuff he shouldn't be doing. But the father waited at home. Because the difference between the son and the other two is the son had the cognitive ability to get home. The son had the ability to find his way back. The son had the ability to understand what he once had and was able to find his way back home. So God, Jesus didn't send the father after the son because the son knew he just needed to come. And it says that when he came to himself, when he woke up, when he recognized. And then it says when he repented. Once there's a heart of repentance, you can always find your way back home. Once there's a heart of, because we can always have a heart of excuses. We can always have a heart of offenses. We can always have a heart of disappointments or hurts or pains. But once you have a heart of repentance, you can always find your way home. Pride will take you out of God's grace. I've been preaching on it since January. How pride takes us out of God's grace and humility brings us into it. Sometimes you just need to bow your knee and say, you know what, I was wrong. You know what, I got it wrong. And the son said, I wonder if my father will take me back. And he starts to come up the road. And, and I love reading the story in different translations 
Because as you read it, you'll see that the father kept looking out, waiting for the son to come home. He kept looking. I know that boy's going to come some point. I put too much into him for him to stay away forever. There's too much I invest in. At some point, that boy's going to come home. At some point, that boy is going to bow his knee. And I'm going to keep looking and hoping and expecting him to come home. He will come home one day. And he kept looking and looking and looking. And the father, when he saw the boy, he didn't condemn him. He didn't say, you know, well, you got what you deserved. Well, I told you so. You ever met somebody like that? And the worst thing they say to you is, I told you so. Because you just told yourself so. You don't need somebody else to tell you so. You know that you screwed up. That's why you're coming home. I don't need you to tell me so. I already told myself so. That's why I'm here. And the son recognized, I need to go home. I need to get back to my father's house. I've been doing all this other stuff, but man, there's a hole in me. There's something that's not right. Satan just keeps stealing from me and stealing from me and stealing from me. And maybe for a while you've been in blindness. Maybe for a while you've been in darkness and you haven't noticed. And all of a sudden it hits you. What am I doing? I'm eating with the pigs? How did I get here? You ever said that? How did I get here? How did I get this far off course? And the enemy is subtle. He just doesn't take you from God's presence into the depths of hell in five seconds. It's over days, weeks, months, and years. And before you know it, one offense after another offense, one hurt, one rejection, one thing, disappointment, one thing that God didn't do that you thought he should do. I know many people have walked away from God because he didn't answer the prayer they wanted him to answer. Like, ah, God didn't answer my prayer, I'm leaving. Well, how many times has God stuck with you and you didn't obey him? You know, you get mad at God for not obeying you, which is a crazy concept. God, you need to obey me. Who are you again? I want God to obey me. That's because, and the only reason we pray that is because we don't know how to pray. God, give me what I want. Because prayer is supposed to be about asking God what he wants. But we don't know how to pray, so we get offended at God. We get mad at God. God, you disappointed. You let me down again. I was believing for that job. I was believing for that healing, that miracle, whatever. You let me down again. Who are you? God didn't let you down. The image of what you thought God should do let you down. God may have spared you from something you know nothing of. But God, you know I really wanted to marry that person. Well, maybe that person was going to lead you into sin. Maybe God spared you from, walking, from, from making a mess of your life. And as the father looked at the son, he wasn't thinking of all the lists. He didn't write out a list and say, well, you know, son, what things did you really do? Because I have to decide what level of forgiveness. It didn't matter to, to him. It could have been five things. It could have been 500 things. It didn't matter. He said, come on home, son. And he embraced him. He embraced him with his love and his compassion. And the son just came home. And you, you keep reading in the story, and his son said, you know, I, I just want to 
come home and, and I, I know that I've sinned. I know I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Maybe if I can just do what the other servants are doing. And notice what the father says to him in verse 22. Father says to the servants, quick, bring the best robes we got, the finest robes in the house, and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, a commitment of being, he's my son, sandals for his feet, to kill and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Again, here's another feast. They always celebrate it when people get, we need to celebrate more when people get saved. We just need to celebrate more. Last week, we had five people saved here in church. Five. We've been having it every week. We must celebrate with a feast, verse 24. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost and now he's found. So the party began. There is grace, third point, to be restored. Grace to be restored. Grace to join the family. Grace to get your name back with Christ. Grace to get the benefits and the promises that come with it. There's grace. Well, you know, I, if I just slide into heaven, that'll be good. You don't have to slide into nothing. You can walk in fully assured that your sins are forgiven and that you're a child of God. See, what was so important about the story was Jesus was trying to explain, listen, just because you ran away, just because you went and did your own thing doesn't make you any less of a son. You are still my children. I'm waiting to come home. I'm not going to change your status based on your sin. I am going to restore you into a place that is yours. Anybody who comes to Christ, the Bible says, you're his sons and daughters. He doesn't have tears of salvation. There's no tear where you, this is the better tear, this is the second best tear, the third best tear. He doesn't have tears of salvation. Each one of us have to come to God for ourselves. Each one of us have to find that place. And I love that they began to party. And I love that they began to rejoice. And I love that they began to sing and shout. And they killed the, the big calf and they ate and they were merry and they enjoyed the time. And as a believer, one of the things I want to encourage us to do better with is to rejoice more. Sometimes, you know, people will say, well, you know, I'm not emotional. Sure you are. We just got to find the right thing that pushes that button. Everybody's emotional. The problem is, some of us have been hurt, and so we're emotionless. And God gave us emotions so that we could be joyful. We could be excited. I, I, I've used this similar examples before, but for some reason, money always works. I wonder why. If I said to you, listen, I've got $10 million here. All I want you to do for five minutes is begin to run and shout and rejoice with his, all the emotions you could possibly think of. Tax-free. 
you'd have some emotions. If we're willing to have emotions over money, why can't we have excitement and joy over God? Why can't we rejoice? The choir's up there singing. The choir's shouting. They're dancing. I love the choir, by the way. Didn't the choir do amazing? Every week. I love the choir up there. Just saying. I'm just putting it out there. No pressure. I'm just telling you what I like. Brings me joy. Brings me lots of joy. But you see people dancing. You see, why are they dancing? They're not dancing because the song, the rhythm. They're dancing because of Jesus. Because he's so good. They're shouting because of Jesus. You're emotional. You know, Friday night we sat here in the cross and we had, we had Jesus on the cross. Uh, we had Jared on the cross, not to you, but we had Jared on the cross. Thanks for dying for our sins, Jared. And so, Jared on the cross. But as we're looking at him, I have tears come into my eyes. Because he died for me. That should be me. But he gave his life for me. Yet I have trouble praying for 10 minutes a day. I have trouble worshiping with feeling and with emotion. Well, you know, I'm not emotional except when I'm watching football. I'm not emotional <laughs> except when I'm buying new shoes. I'm not emotional. <laughs> sure you are. You just forgot your first love. Because when you encounter your first love, that joy, that thrill, Jesus, you love me so much. They were emotional. The father was, I got to have a party. The Bible says that every person that gets saved, they have a party in heaven. Angels are rejoicing. I, we're missing something in understanding this. Because there's a party. Why? Because a couple of things. Number one, you've got a person that was on their way to hell, now on their way to heaven. Number two, you've got a person who is now who was full of sin, now completely made clean by the blood of Jesus. You've got a person who was once dead and is now alive. Yeah, there's going to be a party. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 25. Meanwhile, Jesus said, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. So he asked one of the servants, what's going on? And the servant said, your brother is back and your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. So his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slayed for you. I've never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, notice he said this son of yours, not your brother, not my brother. When this son of yours comes back after squandering all your money on prostitutes, well, somebody's keeping count. You <laughs> celebrate by killing the fatted calf. And his father said, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours.
Some people do serve the Lord. They're in the house. And then they run away for whatever reason. What can happen is sometimes this can cause people to stay to develop something, an offense, a hurt, an attitude. Especially if you invested a lot of time into somebody, you prayed with them, you labored over them, you cried over them, you were with them through difficult times, and they just disappeared. Well, forget them then. And sometimes we can get a negative attitude towards people that are just going through stuff. And we don't even know. The son who stayed didn't even realize he was focusing on the wrong issue. The son, the older son, had also allowed darkness to enter his heart just in a different way. Kind of like the religious leaders. When the religious leaders saw Jesus, the religious leaders thought because they were religious leaders, they were automatically righteous. And somehow Jesus should be celebrating them and promoting them. And if you know anything about the scriptures, you'll know that Jesus and religious leaders fought a lot. And here's one of the major reasons why. When you stop looking for the lost, you're lost. When you stop caring about the lost, you're lost. The older son didn't even know he was lost too. He stopped caring about his brother being lost. He wasn't standing on the edge of the road waiting for his brother He thought he was being righteous because he was in the house. But darkness had entered his heart too. Because he didn't care that his brother, in fact, not only didn't he care, he was offended. He was offended that somehow you're celebrating, I've been with you all the time, Pastor. Why don't you celebrate me like you celebrate them coming home? And we get all offended. Like somehow we're counting celebrations. Well, I want to count how many celebrations I get for just staying here. God celebrates you every day. God, it says he celebrates us all the time. He loves you every day. But you don't even realize your heart's got hard. You've taken on an offense. And so when people get saved, you're like, oh, that's nice. You can't remember the last time you really witnessed to somebody. Really prayed with them and wanted to see them come to Christ. And so just while we look at the son who is out there doing his thing, we have to look at ourselves. There's grace to love the sinner. There's grace to accept them back. Maybe it's somebody in your family talked about you, treated you wrong. I'll never talk to them again. Who are you? Do you want God to say that to you? Because he says if you don't forgive, he won't forgive. 
God's in his word. He says, if you don't forgive others, I can't forgive you. And if somebody's hurt you that bad, you need to come home too. Because you need God to heal what's broken in your heart. The last verse says this. He says to his older son, we had to celebrate this happy day. Verse 32. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is now found. There's grace for life. There's grace to live again. There's grace to come alive. He referred to the lost as in sin, sinners. Some people are lost. You might be one of them. You're sitting here in this room or you're watching online and you're struggling. You know you're a little lost. You don't remember the last time you really had a conversation with the Lord. Maybe never. Maybe sin is distracting you. The world's distracting you. Life is just distracting you. Maybe you're hurting, discouraged. I don't know what it is. But I want to encourage you today. It's time to come home. We want you to come home. We've been looking for you to come home. We know God has sent you today to come home. We'll love you. We're not counting your sins. We just count the souls that are saved. Every salvation is one. And God came for you. God sent Jesus for you. He loves you so much. He's looking down the aisle saying, is it going to be you? Is today your day? Is today the day you say, you know what? I've got to give my life to Christ. Are you going to keep doing what you want to do? Is today going to be the day you still don't know what? I'm tired. I've tried doing it myself or I'm a fool to think if I keep in darkness, it's going to turn out well. It isn't. You have to give your life to Christ. Well, pastor, what's that mean? Bible makes it clear. It's more than just a prayer. Well, pastor, can you just pray for me that I'll feel better? I can't because sin doesn't make you feel better. So I can't just pray that you'll feel better. What it is, is this. You recognize you're a sinner. God, I'm a sinner. The light has to turn on. You have to recognize that the enemy has a grip of your life in some way, shape, or form. You repent of your sins. And from this day forward, you want to serve Jesus Christ with your whole heart. That's what it is. I'm not going to just ask you to come up and just say a prayer. It's a life change. It is the greatest miracle. It is greater than healing cancer. It is greater than healing heart disease. It's greater than any other miracle. It is a miracle of changing from darkness to light, from being lost and found, from being dead and now alive. It's a miracle. 
The Bible calls it a second birth. You're born again. What's that mean? I'm born into God's kingdom. Everybody's born into it. My children aren't getting in because of me. They have to come in on their own. My grandchildren will have to come in on their own. I can share with Christ with them. I can beg them to serve Christ. But at some point, the light's got to turn on for them. At some point, they have to be willing to come up the road themselves and say, I want to serve Christ. Thanks again for listening to our Faith Church podcast. We are so glad you chose to listen to this message. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to receive notifications when we release new content. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Faith Church Rock to find out more information about what is currently happening at Faith Church.